Once again, our show is brought to you by absolutely nothing. And no one. <laughs> and no one either. <laughs> yes. That's what makes it so great. It's very special. It is very special. It's very, you Thank- know, I like our I like our intro. I love our intro. I think it's fantastic. I love watching your face during our intro. <laughs> <laughs> because I can't see you at all when I'm when we're doing it. Rolling my rolling your eyes. And in disgust and disdain, knowing that I am just making fun of you while you can't pay attention. Oh yeah, I can feel it. I can just, mm-hmm. I can feel it. Yep. In in your bones. Yeah. 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 Absolutely feel it here. And looks like you sent me something. Oh my god, am I gonna hate you? I don't know. You probably you're never gonna hate me. You <laughs> might say you hate me. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> It's a it's a picture of while our intro was rolling, Lucy's rubbing his face and knowing that I'm making yeah. fun of him. And, and you I'm, are. Yeah, I am. <laughs> That's absolutely fantastic. <clears throat> so here we are again for another episode. Do you remember where we are? No, I have no idea where we are. Do you uh, season, do you remember? Do you, season four, like episode five. Right? Episode number no. 40, 45. Is it 45? Yes, sir. We're, we're getting close. Yeah. We're getting close to the big 5-0. It's crazy. Yeah. That is, uh, that is insane. Well, here I have on the website. No, the website only says episode 43. That this one would is be that right? 43. Well, that's what the website says. Oh, well, it must be right. If that's what the website yeah, says. I don't know. The website could very well be wrong because I do it. Hey, strictly. <laughs> what what episode are we on? Yeah. See, that's the problem. We don't have a snurdly. Once again, it comes back to that. He says he doesn't know. He can't keep up with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Well, we're slowly coming up to episode 40, n- number 50. We are the big five zero. And we're getting there. So according to um, to my count, which is not official, uh, we are on season four, episode five, number Correct. 43. 43. Okay. Of, of the Fusion Underground. Of the Fusion Underground. So here, here at the Fusion Underground, what we try to do is we try to make sense of the world by having principled discussions about such topics as entertainment, current events, politics, and culture. And we're going to do a little bit about that tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about entertainment current event, politics, and culture, all of that kind of wrapped into one, but I'll get into that in just a second. Our mission is to educate people to become critical thinkers so they can live more empowered and happier lives. As always, I'm your host, Manuel Ramirez, and I'm joined as always in the virtual studio by my brother, Jason Moret. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, brother. I'm good. <sighs> that was a lot. We have, we have, so the, our topics today 
um, what we're going to get into, we're going to talk about villains and we're going to talk about the internet, the interwebs. Same, this same. was same, one, same, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> villains on the interweb, etc. I don't know. Um, but this, this came about with a, with a conversation that I had with a, with a different friend of mine um, a couple of weeks back. And we were kind of, we were kind of debating this. Um, he and I agree, but I wanted to kind of, I wanted to record it and talk to you about it and see where, uh, where you come down on it. So we're going to talk about villains. Um, and we're going to look at villains in popular culture to kind of get a sense of what villains are and why they're important, why they matter, why good villains are important, especially to telling a good story and particularly around, um, hero folks. Okay. Those who are, who do the dastardly do. The dastardly deeds of deededness. Yes. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna get into that. But before we do all of that, before we do that, we do have some some other stupid news that we have to talk about. Oh, okay. So we do have some stupid news. For for example, this guy. This is a story where some guy woke up to a woman holding a bag of pepperoni and drinking soda in his house. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it says Mobile, Alabama. A man in Alabama woke up to an unexpected visitor in his home Sunday morning, police say. Mobile police, Mobile police were called around 8.20 a.m. on a report of a burglary. The man who lives in the home told officers he woke up and found a stranger standing in his bedroom drinking a Coca-Cola and holding a bag of pepperoni from his refrigerator. He told police he had to physically force her out of the home after she told him she was cold and hungry. As it turns out, the woman said she was cold and hungry, making it quite clear that this man was very single because there is no way you are cold and hungry, open a refrigerator and grab the pepperoni, unless that's literally the only thing in there, right next to the Coke and Jim Beam. <laughs> Police tracked down the pepperoni perpetrator at a nearby church. Huh. I have so many questions and took her into custody. <laughs> Hopefully she'll get the help she needs. As for the victim, good as man, get yourself some vegetables. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know what to say to that. Uh, you know, the, the, the crazy part is that's twice tonight I've heard a very similar story. <laughs> uh, I, a similar right? story nonetheless. Yes, actually. <clears throat> so funny. I don't know if anybody out there or you are familiar with an app called Nextdoor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I so use that Nextdoor. Yeah, I that. actually got that just because I had some, some like baby clothes my wife and I were looking to get rid of because we didn't need any more. And um, I happened to see today that there was a post that somebody actually put on here um, just that a drugged out guy walked into our home. Some guy who was totally drugged out of his mind just walked into our home while a roommate and I were home. Only reason we heard him was because our dogs were barking. Come out of the rooms just to see him standing in the middle of our living room. We had no idea who this guy was or what his intentions were. So we pulled out our guns on him and got him to get out of the house. He took off down the street, and that's when the police were called. The situation handled, the police got him. But can you imagine that? You come out of your bedroom, and there's some dude just kind of standing in your living room. What's up? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Who are you? Why are you it's, here? It's cold outside. I was hungry. You need more food in your fridge. <laughs> you only have pepperoni. So, you must be single. So if you're if you're cold and hungry and you go into a house and you find something to eat and drink, why do you go into the bedroom and watch the person sleeping who lives right? there? 
That was that was the thing I was going. Wait, there she's just standing over you, watching you eat or sleep while she's eating your stuff. That's I, I don't that, understand. That's that that's all. wrong on like nine hundred different levels. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. Very creepy. Yeah, very, very very creepy. Very 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 creepy. There are strange people out in the world. How about this one? So let's um you know there there's there are uh, crazy crazy things happening in the world especially if you live in california well yeah um because they've been battling covid over there like in draconian type measures right well los angeles has decided in their infinite wisdom that they will ban televisions and restaurants yeah what yeah so the county of los angeles public health issued a proclamation uh, citing recent updates, 120 dated 128.21, so just a couple days ago, restaurants and breweries may reopen for outdoor dining and wineries may reopen for outdoor wine tastings in compliance with this protocol. Because of course, everybody's, you know, the, the government is now realizing, hey, wait a minute, if all of these businesses are shut down, we don't get any revenue. We got no cheddar. We got no cheddar. We, get, we, can't, we, we can't collect taxes if they're not actually making money. So we got to right. open them back up so they can make some money so we can collect taxes. Uh, Not to mention that there are a lot of people in LA that are just kind of going stir crazy and saying enough, enough. Um, So of this protocol, employees that may come in contact with customers must wear both a face covering and a face shield at all times when interacting with customers and when in customer service areas. This is absolutely ridiculous. Agreed. Outdoor dining table seating must be limited to no more than six people per table. What? (laughs) Because eight people. That that's where COVID spreads, because uh, it has no no regulation on how big the table is. So if you've got a four person table, you can still have six people at it. Uh huh. Or what if it's a small two person table? Can you still have six people at that? It, so all of whom so all, stupid. All of whom must be from the same household. Since when do you go out with people from the same household to a bar? Yeah, all like establish- <clears throat> all establishments must post signage and verbally inform customers that everyone sharing a table must be from the same household. Okay. <laughs> all right, you know what? I'm going to go to a bar with five of my buddies cuz cuz we all is- live together. We're it's yeah. a frat house. And I'm going to go, "Hey, we're all butt buddies. Don't you judge me by my choice of lifestyle. Right. We all live together. We share the same bed." You want to know what else we do together? Eat at a restaurant, apparently. Now give me my beer and get the hell out of here. <laughs> I mean, this is just ridiculous. Why Why six people? Why no, no more than six people? They don't know. They, they uh, got a uh, stupid. More. There are other, uh, there are additional rules in this protocol. In this uh, protocol. Of course there are. Out, outdoor tables must be repositioned or removed so that all tables are at least eight feet apart. What, what happened to six feet? Oh, wait, no. People take up space. I guess. One foot of space per person on each table, so that keeps six foot of distance. I got it. Okay, that makes sense. Sure. It doesn't have anything in there in, um, on facing due east and west? No, or? it doesn't say anything about that. Televisions oh. or other screens that broadcast programming must remain off until further notice. Because people that are watching TV and eating stick around longer? Either that or you can get COVID from the television set. I have no idea. I, I, I do not know. This is ridiculous. 
Well, because if you're jumping up and down and screaming at a sporting event while you're at a bar, then that's then you're 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 spreading droplets. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. That's got oh, that's got to be what it is. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Absolutely. Customers yeah. are not allowed to consume food or beverages unless seated at a table. Yeah. So well, in other in other words, they just killed the Super Bowl for all of Los Angeles. Well, yeah. Well, they, they, <laughs> <laughs> but they just killed the World Cup too, right? I mean, because you're you're a World Cup guy, isn't that like a thing? Yes, it is a thing, actually. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I said sporting events, and I, I mm. meant all of them. You know, people mm-hmm. could 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 meet around for watching a good game of soccer. Soccer. <laughs> <laughs> That this happens is, too, right? This is I just think? this is just ridiculous. I I do want to I do want to make mention oh. uh, that something else happened just this last week. Um, COVID numbers went down. <sighs> no, well, I don't know. I haven't been paying any attention to the numbers. I haven't been paying much attention to the numbers. But um, Facebook and the American Journal of Medicine. We know who the American Journal of Medicine is, right? Oh yes, y'all know who that is. They, I mean, it's the American Journal of Medicine is essentially the de facto place for spreading information, new knowledge related to the practice of medicine. Mm-hmm. Okay, to get published in that journal is a pretty big deal, and physicians use that journal uh, as basically a foundation for new procedures and new Correct. methods of treatment and all of that. Well, that journal along with Facebook last week, they, they issued an apology. Oh, okay. Yeah. And their apology was that, um, hydroxychloroquine, remember that whole thing? Oh yeah. That, that was a big phony and this was blah, 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 blah. And we turned this into a big thing. And how dare somebody say that that's a treatment or cure. And, but yes, well, because Trump said it, remember Trump said, Hey, this is a potential cure. And the media and the left went apeshit over that. Mm-hmm. and said, no, that it is not a cure. And they were actively campaigning last year. I don't remember. You, do you, you, you remember, right? Yeah. Actively campaigning. People were actively campaigning all last summer against, um, against hydroxy. They here were to be trying used for, to ban it yeah. completely. In, in fact, there were a couple of states actually did they ban did. it. Correct. I think it was Minnesota was one of the city was one of the state cities. Minnesota was one of the states that actually uh, banned pharmacists from even prescribing it for Correct. for uh, for COVID. Uh, and yet, the American uh, Journal of Medicine and Facebook came out just a few days ago and said, "Yeah, about that, uh, those stories that we were saying that hydroxy was bad. Uh, we're sorry. It turns out it's actually quite effective." Mm-hmm. Yep. In fact, now there's been uh, there was a study that was recently conducted that um, that it was something like 71%, 79%. So the latest international testing, this was issued by the American Journal of Medicine, the latest international testing of hydroxy treatment for coronavirus shows countries that had early use of the drug had a 79% lower mortality rate than countries that banned the use of the safe malaria drug. So this yep. is where we're at. I mean, in, in my opinion, many of these people should be, should be tried. They should, they should go to prison for this kind of stuff. 
Yeah, but um, nothing will happen with that because all right. fair, it's, and I we said this early on. It's all fair in the game of politics and and anti-Trump hatred. Um, right. Whether you liked the sitting president at the time or not, and this was the argument you and I made, I think over and over. Um, you have to set aside your political bias and actually look at the information. And, and these are the same people who are all yelling, follow the science, right? Correct. Correct. Follow and the science. And it's, it's deplorable. Yeah. It's deplorable. And yet, I mean, did you see me get outraged and shocked by it? No, because it's what we've come to expect. Right. We allow this kind of bullshit to happen over and over and over again. I mean, where's the freaking breaking point? Where we say enough. <clears throat> right. And what does that even mean? What does saying enough even mean? What what's gonna happen when that when the enough of the potentially 70 million people out there say, All right, that's it. I've had enough. What does well, that look like? Well, and it doesn't really look much like anything because now we, we're we're a week into just a little over a week in in Biden's administration. And you remember that during the entire four years that Trump was in office. The all of the left kept referring to him as a dictator. Yeah, talking about how he, we lived in a dictatorship. Trump yep. was a dictator. Um, we even had Biden out on the campaign trail, alluding to the fact that if you if you sign executive orders, then you are <laughs> acting as a dictator because you're going around the legislative process. And how many did he sign the day of his inauguration? Well, I don't know exactly how many was the day. I think it was like 13 or 15 or something. It was crazy. like 15 the day of. The day of. Added another 12, I believe it was, in, within the next 24 the, to 48 hours. In 10 days, in 10 days, Biden has signed 42 executive orders. Yeah, there you go. 42 executive orders. This is insane. This is, I mean, just at this point, what, what's Congress even for? That's what the, they don't matter. It doesn't, it does not matter. Uh, Congress doesn't matter. And in fact, Congress is building a wall. Remember, we were told for four years that walls don't work. Right. We were told that, that wall building walls is inhumane. Mm -hmm. um, it's racist. It's racist. Uh, they don't <laughs> yeah. work. And now they, because of the riot at the Capitol building, they put up, they put up that wall in preparation for the inauguration. And now lawmakers have come out last week and said, yeah, you know, that wall, we're going to, we're going to make it permanent. We're going to, we're going to build something that's permanent around the Capitol building. Um, this is, this is egregious. I mean, it's, it's disgusting. Absolutely. You know, disgusting. The American people now are being kept away, are being pushed out of a building that rightfully belongs to them. This is our capital, our, our nation's capital for crying out loud. If you travel to Washington, D.C. now, you're not going to be able to even get even close to the Capitol building because there's going to be a wall around it to keep people out. But apparently walls, <clears throat> walls do work. Walls work <clears throat> around the Capitol building, but not at the border where people are dying. Correct. Where people are dying. Here's, here's another one. This, this is, um, I, I want to share this because uh, I don't know if you, if you heard this or not. Uh, let me share. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to share my, just the sound here because I want to play this for you. Children from their parents. How dare you pull children out of the arms of their mothers? How dare you lie and say you couldn't do anything about it? You're the one who caused it, and you're the one that we're gonna make to turn it back because what you're doing now is lying, lying, lying. 
You remember that? That was Maxine Waters, Maxine right? Maxine Waters. Oh, Bless Maxine her Waters. Heart. Yeah. Well, in that speech, in that speech there, this is uh, the clip that I have is, is the full clip. It's six and a half minutes. I don't want to play that. Um, but during that speech, she's she says, if you see anybody from the Trump administration in a restaurant, in a department mm-hmm. store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd and you, you push back on them. Right. And you tell them, tell them they're, they're not, not welcome, welcome anymore. Right. They're not welcome yep. anymore anywhere. That's what that's what she that's what she said during that same speech there. Uh, but a few days ago, a few <laughs> days ago, somebody on Twitter, they took that exact same quote, except they removed the word Trump or the name Trump and they put in the Cuomo administration. Right. New York. <clears throat> oh, my gosh. What, what vitriol did they face? Yeah. And <laughs> the left was fit to be tied. Uh-huh. They were they were incensed. Um, here's one of the famous uh, left, uh, a leftist uh, journalist firefighter who, who tweeted out, this is appalling and dangerous. Encouraging violence must never be tolerated. Shame on whoever is behind this kind of garbage. Jeffrey Dinowitz, he posted on Twitter, what's wrong with you? Threatening violence against duly elected representatives of the people of New York is fascism. The hatred unleashed by Trump and his gang of thugs continues to reverberate throughout the country. Enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And it goes on. I have m- oh, yeah. more. I mean, here's, here's somebody who wrote, this kind of incitement of violence against government leaders must stop. This is not who we are and we can do better. Um, that, you know, this is but this is just insane. That is who they are. That is who they are. That's exactly who they are. And they were not only a, a, not only is that who they are, they were bragging about it, and they were applauded for it. Yeah. That and, and like you said, that is the exact same word. All she did, or that person did, whoever it was that did that on Twitter, God bless them, is actually replaced the name Trump with Cuomo. That's it. And that's it. And it went from applauded to egregious. Yeah. I hope they actually pointed that out after all the vitriol came out. Well, I just took Maxine Waters' speech, in her words, and replaced the name Trump with Cuomo. I'd be curious to see what the reaction was to those people who were up in arms. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, did you... Did did you hear about the anal swabs? What? Did... (laughs) Wait, I was talking about Maxine Waters' words. Well, and, you know, and, linking, and you went yeah. to anal swabs. <laughs> I understand making a leap from one topic to another, getting creative and connecting things, but um, no, I did not. Please, um, this must be COVID related. Tell me, oh, it is COVID related. Well, Cuomo was COVID related too. Even that quote was about his re- his response, which is amazing to me. Anyway, going back to that, just for a brief second, because Cuomo, the the liberal media is coming out and saying, "Hey, you know what? Maybe Cuomo didn't really do such a great job after all." No shit, you reckon? Really? Um, but <laughs> uh, but China has actually come out with an anal swab to test for COVID. Yeah. How is it administered? Anally. Look, okay, touche. Um, let me let me rephrase the question, Mm -hmm. please, Doctor Ramirez. Tell us more. 
Well, that's it. That's the that's the whole thing. I mean, that's, <laughs> <laughs> this is where we're at. This is, well, you, can't, you can't do that. They're actually they're actually anal swabbing some people at airports before they get on planes. I hope they're taking him into a back room and and doing the whole anal swab. Okay, put your shoes in the bucket. Laptops need to come out of your carry-on. Right. Your watch is out here. Arms up, step through, drop your pants, bend over, hold grab still. Grab your cough. ankles. Bend over, grab your butt cheeks, spread them apart. Yep. Relax. Squat. <laughs> bend and spread. <laughs> oh. oh, that sucks. And apparently it's supposed to be, you know, really accurate, I guess. What the hell does that even mean, really accurate? I, I don't know. They No, but that's just my point. No, They don't know. You know, <coughs> I look at patients every day. Um, and I cannot tell you how many people I have looked at their medical chart and seen that there have been COVID tests after COVID test, after COVID test, and they're all negative. Mm -hmm. And I've looked at some of these and go, this person has COVID. They do. You can tell just by looking at it. And then two weeks later, sure enough, oh, now they're finally testing positive. Well, they've, they've had it the whole dang time. I mean, the, I, I don't put any faith in any of the, those COVID tests whatsoever. I don't care. Um, and on the flip side, I've seen patients who have they've been positive for a month and they've never had a fever. They've never had a cough. They've never had anything. It, it, it's, it's retarded. I mean, shoot, my, my brother got COVID. It took him three weeks after his wife had it before he finally came down with it. And I think it wasn't until he was in the thick of it that he finally get a positive COVID test. And I mean, lucky, uh, he was, he's counting his blessings because he's one of the lucky few to survive him and 98% of the population who have all had it, you know, but whatever. That's so retarded. I, I whatever. You know what? <laughs> if you are that worried about whether or not you have COVID, <laughs> that you are going to bend over and spread your ass cheeks so some random stranger can stick an oversized Q-tip in there, or at least you hope, um, to check for it, you line up. There, there will be pictures. people. There will be people in this country that will say, "Yeah, I'll do it." Yeah, I know. Because there are people that are so panicked. I mean, okay. So <laughs> let's say, for the sake of argument, for the sake of argument, let's just let's just say that it's a pandemic. Oh, oh, it's it is a pandemic. Okay. Yes. Let, for I the sake it. of argument, okay. let's just say that and just accept that for the time being. Done. Accepted. Moving on. Not only do we have a pandemic, we also have. We also, we, our country is just mired in panic as well. There was a time where I actually believed that. Well, so I think I, about half the country is still panicked. No, no, I don't think half the country. I mean, there was a time that, yes, I say, if you were to rewind and take us back to April, May, right about there. Yeah. I would say there was a, a, at least half the country was legitimately panicked and freaked out. Absolutely. After having this for damn near a year, I don't think most of the country's freaked out. I really don't. I think most of the country is kind of just over it. And I think even the ones that were freaked out beyond normal 
uh, mental capacity. I think they've just kind of accepted masks and hand washing and nasal swabs and all that kind of stuff is just normal part of reality now. I don't think they're freaked out by it at all. They just accept it. But I, I still think about half of the country is in a place where they are, they're, they're not going to go out. They're not going to go anywhere. They're going to take drastic draconian precautions. Um, this week I've run into about three different people who said they haven't been out of their house. They go to the grocery store at early, early hours in the morning when nobody is there. They, they don't go anywhere than just simply to the grocery store. And that is it. Um, and, and there are people that are still incensed when they see people who are not wearing their, are, are not wearing, uh, masks that aren't washing their hands, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are people that are still uh, scolding and lecturing people that this is, you, you know, you're killing, you're killing grandma, you're killing grandpa. If you don't do these kinds of things, um, there are still a lot of people. Is that half? I, I think that there are probably about half who fall into that category um, and then I think another half of the people don't, I think we're fortunate enough to live in Arizona where we're not on the West coast, but I think if you go into the, into the, into, or, you know, on, we're not in the, on the coast is what I meant to say. But I think if you get more further into the, into the coast areas and the coastal cities, I think there are tons of people that are still panicked. Well, okay. So I look or at, at least what you're... freaked out, at least freaked out. If nothing else, I look at what you're saying and, and I can appreciate it, but I don't, I still don't believe half of the people in this country are, are legitimately terrified by COVID. I think that there is a fair percentage of people, um, especially when you're on the coast and when you're talking about the California coastal part of Oregon and Washington, you have to, you have to have a mental deficit to live in that part of the country anyway. So I only take their, their mental thinking capacity so far. That being said, I don't think they're freaked out by it either. I think they're so used to being self-righteous and indignated of other people that they look for any reason they can to start, you know, creating a, a scene. And that includes yelling at some dude in a parking lot because he didn't have his mask on quick enough for you. Um, I don't believe that they're freaked out. I think they're angry, ignorant people, but I don't believe that they're scared. I don't believe anybody is that scared of this anymore. Again, I think it's something that they can jump on a high horse and shout down at other people to make themselves feel more virtuous than their, you know, fellow citizen. Well, I think people, I think the people that are scared are, are scared of other people. I, I think there are, there are, there are a ton of people in this country and I would put it probably at about 40, 45% of people in this country who really absolutely want to control the other 55, 60% of the population so that the 60, the other 60% of the population doesn't get them sick. I think that's how they, I think that's how they view it. And they are okay. comfortable. They're comfortable in this paranoia about, about the virus. I think that there are far too many. I mean, we, the, the, the public school teachers is a prime example of that. That entire demographic, you're, I mean, you're talking a demographic who the, the vast majority of, of elementary school teachers in this country are between the ages of like 32 and 35, the vast yep. majority. And, and, and they constantly get new, new teachers out of, out of college. So they're in their mid twenties. 
as well. But the vast majority of teachers are young enough where COVID is not an issue. It's not going to be an issue uh, for them to get sick. <clears throat> and yet the vast number of teachers are complaining. They're terrified. They don't want to, I will actually, I wouldn't even say that they're terrified. I don't think that they're actually terrified. I think they've come to realize that they can get away with actually not working mm -hmm. and they want to keep it that way. Sure. They're using and this as a, they're using this as an excuse to not have to, to not have to, to go to, go to work and not have to put up with the crap that they signed up for as to, as teachers to begin with. Yep. No. And I, I don't think most people are terrified or, or, um, really in fear of any of this kind of stuff. I think COVID has become an excuse for a lot of people in just about every industry, just about every industry of worker that I've, I've talked to different people who it, COVID has become a catch-all excuse for absolute laziness, absolute last lack of any type of customer service or respect for your fellow man or your uh, other people that you work for, for your customer for anybody it's it's just become this big catch-all excuse of uh basically i don't really give a shit well and it's going to continue sure um I, I i kept i was thinking last year i kept thinking that it would have it would have abated by now um because i really thought that at the time that COVID, especially last summer and going into into the fall i really thought that the vast majority of the, the crap swirling around COVID had to deal more directly with politics and that after the election that was going to start subsiding because um, either A, you're stuck with Trump or B, you weren't and therefore now we can stop talking about it all. But now I, I, I think the politics part portion has absolutely died down. But the the rhetoric around it has amped up. But all they've done is they've they've switched. They've just changed or moved the goalposts, so to speak. And this is something that has happened with with other topics such as racism. It's happened with things like global warming, uh, where you know you you win the argument, and then in order to keep the argument alive, you have to switch focus. Mm -hmm. I mean, the United States for a number of years was probably the least racist country on the planet. Yeah. Given our vast, given our history and the history of slavery that we had, blah, blah, whatever, right. With the civil rights movement and everything. But there was a time uh, not too long ago about, and it ended right around uh, in the early two thousands, but up until the two thousands, the United States was by far and away not racist. We didn't even talk about race. Mm -hmm. We had actually, for the most part, pretty much achieved society-wide a country that we judged people by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin, according to MLK. Right. But all that has now gone completely out the window. Sure. Right. They, because you have people like... You, you, you know, you have people who are the race baiters who make money off of this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, they want to keep getting that paycheck. And so they're going to sure. just simply move the goalposts. Well, the same thing now has happened with COVID. But originally, it was very politically motivated, uh, anti-Trump. Now that Trump is gone, people have realized the power that they've globbed onto because of this whole COVID thing. People have received all kinds of benefits or other privileges and perks because of COVID. And now people are continuing with the whole COVID thing. Yep. And, 
Go ahead. I, I no, I told you from the get go. If you remember, I said this. It's it's not about Trump. This is about power. They're they're gonna they're going to rein in as much power as they can, um, whether Trump's around or not. And they're going to do it in spite of him if he's there and in his absence if he's gone, it doesn't matter. This whole thing I said from the very get-go, if you remember, I said this is about power and it's about control. And it's about how much they are going to be able to get away with. Yeah. And I warned that we're going to give up all of our liberties one mandate at a time. Remember I said it was going to start with masks and then it was going to go to... Um, you know, curfews, and then it was going to be isolation. And and look, all of that shit has happened, and we've continually let it happen. And you know, you weren't wrong. The this grab this grab for power and control happened way before Trump. Um, back in the early two thousands, we didn't talk about race. Well, I told you, I you and I were talking about um the rise of socialism way back then. And I said, you know, if socialism is going to take hold, you have to get the Marxist idea out there into the mainstream public. Well, one of the biggest marches for uh, Marxism is class warfare. And that includes race. So if you get people hating other people for what you feel you have been left out of or what you feel that you don't have, then you can use that hatred to mobilize and you can use that guilt to get people to give up of their individual liberties in order to try and satiate that. Well, now we're, now it's going to happen even more. We're going to crank that up to 11 here because of what's been happening with GameStop and with AMC uh, and a couple of other brick and mortar stores with the, with the short selling that's been going on. Um, you're looking at me like I have two heads. Have you not been following that, that story? No, no, not at all. So, over the past week or so, um, there have there was a group on, on Reddit or a group of people on Reddit who recognized that, hey, you know what? There's a bunch of short selling that's going on of GameStop. So let's organize and buy a bunch of GameStop stock. GameStop stock. So they did. Mm -hmm. They started buying GameStop stock. And as a way to stick it to the hedge fund managers that were trying to that were trying to profit by short selling game GameStop stock on the on the uh, on the internet and as a result of that there are i think last count it was estimated that there have been like 70 billion dollars worth of losses of from hedge funds where some of the hedge funds are now facing absolute bankruptcy they have to they're having to liquidate everything uh, to cover the short selling of these stocks because you basically the, the hedge fund managers are betting that the stocks are going to go down and they're going to profit from that. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, there are now analysts that are thinking that looking at the numbers are saying, you know what, more than a hundred percent, more than all, you know, you have only so much stocks of a company that are available for purchase. And now people are saying that 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 the amount of stocks that are in circulation or that have been sold, I should say, have actually surpassed um, by a hundred percent the amount of stock. So if you had a hundred shares, they've sold technically two hundred shares. Hmm. Um, so for for those listening who don't know how this whole short selling works and how you make money from short selling, it's actually quite simple. So the way this works is, let's say you own stock in a company 
and and we'll use the we'll use some simple numbers here so you can follow the math. Um, let's say you own a share of stock and the stock right now is valued at ten dollars a share. Okay, mm-hmm. so I come along and I write a contract with you and I say, look, for a certain period of time, you can't do anything with the stock, but you're going to let me borrow it. Okay. And you say, sure, fine, whatever. So we have a deal. And on a certain date in the future, I'm going to deliver the stock back to you. I'm going to give it back to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're like, yeah, great, fine. So now I've taken possession of your stock for, for $0. I didn't buy it. Right. You're just lending it to me. Mm-hmm. So now what I do is I go onto the market and I sell the stock. And let's say it's valued at $10 per share. So I sell that, somebody buys it, and I get $10. Now, I've put no money up and I've now made $10. But here's the thing. I have to return your stock to you. Right. So what I'm hoping is that the stock price drops. And let's say it does drop. Let's say it drops to $3. Mm -hmm. When it drops to $3, I have to give you your stock back. So I'm sitting on $10. I turn around and I buy the stock back at $3. Mm -hmm. Cost me three bucks. Now I have $7 in my pocket. On the date that it's now due, I give you your stock back. Yep. So you are, you're nowhere, what you're no less for right. wear. And I've made seven bucks on the stock depreciating in value. Okay. And so what these hedge fund managers have done is they've taken possession of the stocks and they sold it, but they sold it to more than if I had one, one stock, not only did I sell it to Joe Blow down the street, but I sold it to 10 other Joe Blows down the street. The same so one stock? The same, essentially the same one stock. Because nobody actually, it's not like you get a piece of paper. You don't get the piece of paper that says you own. That right, it says right, right. stock in GameStop. So they're just selling it. And what ended up happening was because all of the Redditors started buying, the price of the stock went to the moon. It went from like $15 a share to or whatever it was to now it's well over $300 a share. Wow. Okay, so now imagine when the day comes that I have to buy, give, give you back the give stock. Give me my stock back. You're like, I, dude, this I sucks. have to <laughs> right. I have to buy it at the market value in order to get it back. Right. Well, if it's now three hundred dollars and I originally sold it for ten, guess what? I got to come up with two hundred ninety dollars to buy that stock back. Right. So now I have to liquidate. In some cases, I may have to liquidate. Everything that I own, this and you've got hedge fund managers managers now that are on the verge of losing their home, all of their homes, their cars, their kids' college funds, all of the, all of this stuff, so that they can cover the bet. And here's the thing: you have to cover the bet. You have to. Mm-hmm. It's illegal if you don't. So you either lose everything, or you go to jail and lose everything. And so. <laughs> But here's, but, you know, when you were talking about, um, you know, the class warfare and implementing regulations and everything like, well, this is a prime example of it. Now we have, we have people in the leftist media coming out and saying, you know, those, those hedge fund managers, managers, they were actually the good guys. They're the good guys in this whole equation. And I'm thinking, are you insane? You had a bunch of guys, just a, just every average day Joe's on Reddit that said, Hey, let's buy stock. Yeah. And they did. And the hedge fund managers are going to are losing their asses over this. I think it's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> well, you know, this playing the the whole stock market. It, this is nothing that we. Not everybody wants to do that because there's risk. Now, th- risk. those guys, those hedge fund managers, they know that. 
Um, and I'm sorry, this is one of those times where you kind of you kind of lost, man. Um, but sorry. There, I, I, I'm willing to bet that those hedge fund managers will get a bailout from Wall Street. I have oh, a sure. I have a oh, yeah. I, I, I feel that they're going to get bailed out. And the the Fed the Feds are going to use are going to use this as a way to increase regulations so that redditors oh, sure. cannot come together and share information. I mean, you had the app. There was a there was an app called Robinhood that you can do mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. stock trading on your mobile device. Um, last week, Robinhood they suspended trading of GameStop stock on their on their app. They just shut it down. Yeah, I mean, this is unheard of. Yeah, and that's for a publicly traded company. That's supposed to be illegal. It should be. That's, it is illegal. That's that's not supposed to be allowed. Um, sorry. But, and and here's the thing. You know, the SEC they're supposed to be watching all of this. Now, I don't have a problem with short selling per se. It, I have an I have a problem with the unlimited naked type of short selling where you're selling you're selling a, well above and beyond the number of stocks that you have. Mm-hmm. But I think if you get somebody, if if you can, if I can borrow a stock from you, why can't I sell it and then buy it back? As long as I cover the deal, mm-hmm. right? I don't necessarily have a problem with the short selling. I have a problem with all of the activity that surrounds short selling, because because hedge fund manager managers they use short selling to literally drive a company into bankruptcy, so that their buddies can come in and buy it up and break, break the company up and sell it for all kinds of profit as well. So everybody's profiting on the deal, except the company owners. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, of vileness that happens around the short selling that in my mind makes it absolutely immoral to do. Yeah. Well, and, and it'd be different if, if like in the example that you said, if, if I lend you a stock and you hold it, you pay 10 bucks for it, you sell it to someone else and then buy it back cheaper. That's one thing. But if you are buying one stock and you sell that stock a hundred times, you don't, that's, you don't have that to sell. And that's no, that, um, yeah, that's deplorable. That's, and you know what? So I don't feel sorry for you. Sorry out there. I don't feel sorry for you. If you're a a hedge fund manager and you bought one stock and sold it a hundred times and now you're, you know, nobody's there to cover your ass because you screwed up. Well, sorry. This one bit you in the ass. Yeah. Learn from it. Or what did your mom say? Builds character. Builds character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get up, Buttercup. I hope they lose their I hope they lose their 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 shirts on this whole deal. Yep. It'll be interesting to watch in the coming days to see actually all of the bloodletting that happens. And I'm full I fully expect that there's going to be a bailout. Um, sure. which means you and I will end up bailing out these Wall Street yeah, idiots. We'll pay for, for that. Right. For we'll basically for unlimited, we're we're basically financing a trip for them to Vegas. Mm-hmm. That's what yep. this amounts to. In fact, in fact, now this is not financial advice by me, but in fact, you have better odds if you just look at the odds. If you just if you're just an odds person, mm-hmm. you have better odds rather than rather than trying to dig into the stock market and trying to figure out which stocks you should or shouldn't buy, and spending all that amount of time, and then. You know, and then maybe be lucky if you get a ten percent return on investment. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases, the odds of it actually returning an investment may be pretty low. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think the odds of actually returning an investment on the stock market is right, right around twenty percent. Not terrible, mm-hmm. but if you learn to play craps, yeah, 
if you learn to play craps, the odds of winning at craps is like 50%. If I didn't you think just, it was quite that high. Oh, yeah, it is. If you just bet like the come line in Vegas on the on the die rolls, you don't even have to grab the dice and roll them. You can just bet that come line. And it's like a 50% shot over the whole over the life cycle of you playing the game. It's actually really good. It's the best odds in the house. See, and I, better I was better off playing craps. I was always always under the assumption the acts the the most fair as far when it came to odds of any game that you had to play would be to play either red or black or odds and even on roulette, and that you're at forty eight percent or something. It was the closest to fifty fifty you could get, because even the house still has the the green and double zero. Yeah, but the, the 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 thing about the roulette wheel, if you play red or black or just odd or even, um, yeah, because there are the the zero and the double zero yep. or whatever the green ones, um, it's like a forty eight percent shot. Right. But the pay but the returns on those aren't as high. They're much better returns well, no. on the craps table. It's it's one for one. I mean, yeah. you bet a dollar, you get two dollars. Yay! Yeah. I mean, that's that's what you got. Yeah, the better returns are the better returns are playing the craps table if you learn how to play. Um, but the point is, I don't know how to play craps. The point <laughs> is, you can still play the roulette wheel, or you can play craps, and you're probably still have a better return on investment with better odds than you would be playing the stock market, just generally speaking. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But I had that experience with roulette. You were there. Uh huh. You were there. I, mm-hmm. I I played for a whole weekend in Laughlin on uh, forty bucks and walked away with one hundred and sixty dollars of cash money after a whole weekend of sitting at a roulette table, pretty much playing odds and evens. <laughs> right. Because that's how that's the conservative-minded high-stakes gambler I am right there. <laughs> Wager five bucks, win five bucks. and Dude, I had wait. a blast all weekend long. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's a you, you actually got a pretty good return for, you know, was, for, for 40 bucks. Heck yeah. You probably would have lost all that in the same amount of time playing on the stock market. Oh, I'd have lost that in about a minute. Yeah. Invest all your money into Enron. That sounds like a reputable company, right? Yeah, yeah. that sounds good. <laughs> Let's do that. And it's gone. Damn, Damn it. it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's talk about the internet and let's talk about villains. Okay. Same, same. Same, same. Yeah. Same, same. So um, the, the, the first thing, talking about villains, right? So okay. we've got... You know, we have villains that show up in all kinds of media, video games, movies, television mm-hmm. shows, right? Even if it's a just a regular medical drama, yeah. you'll have a good villain that's on that show. If it's you a good show. Have a, you have to have a good villain to drive the story forward and to right. give the hero something to rally everyone behind to overcome. So what makes a villain a good villain? Um, I think a good villain or good antagonist is someone that challenges the protagonist um, to grow and unite other people, potentially um, face their own inner demons, whatever they may be, learn from their experiences, grow as an individual, get better and win the day. Do you have the idea? Do you have some films that that have a really good villain in them? Oh gosh! Well, of course, pick one. Um, all right, let's take um, Star Wars. Darth right. Vader, probably one of the greatest villains ever. I don't know. Yeah, I know you're a big Star Wars fan, so I just threw it out there. 
Well, I used to be. I used to consider myself to be a big Star Wars fan. Well, no, we only talk about the Star Wars. So that's okay. just right. episode, was it? Four, five, five and four, six. Four, five, six. Yeah. 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 Everything else can go away. I don't care. Yeah. Well, one of the one of my favorite movies that, that I love, and it has a great villain in it, is Die Hard. Awesome. With yeah. Hans Gruber, right? And mm-hmm. what I love about that movie is at the beginning of the film, you've got... Um, uh, John McClane, right? And he's the hero. And he he's wearing that wife beater tank top. Mm-hmm. And with, at the start of the movie, that thing is clean. It's white. <laughs> right? That thing is so white. And at the end of the movie, that thing is black. Like it's well, as black it as your shirt. By just, the end of the movie. <laughs> he's just well, yeah, by the end, he's not even wearing it anymore. Yeah. Um, but 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 right before then it's all bloody and it's just black and he's all beat up, of course. And part of you know, part of what makes you know him his challenges so um so difficult is the tenacity by which Hans Gruber hunts him. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that there's that terrible scene. It's it still makes me cringe every time I see it, where he tells his guys, he says, shoot the glass. Yeah. Yeah, because he yeah. saw John McClane barefoot and barefoot. he knows that he's barefoot. And so there's just glass shards everywhere and he has to run through it in order to stay alive. And he's bleeding, you know, and he can't walk. He's basically crippled, mm-hmm. you know, after that scene, it's towards the end of the film. But what makes that film so good is how powerful and how uh, voracious Hans Gruber is as a villain. And then when he finally is defeated at the end of the film, when he finally, you know, falls from the building and falls to his death, there's a, there's a sense of accomplishment because we've seen John McClane, you know, battle everything and barely get out of it. Right. Every single encounter with the, with the terrorists. Right. And, and the the whole audience just sighs a, a overwhelming sigh of relief that finally the journey's come to an end. Finally, um, he's overcome. We've overcome because that's that's something else too. That the a, a good antagonist or villain actually unites the audience, right, to side with the hero, right. Um, and you have to then um, create somebody so, so voracious that the the audience has to hate them enough to side with the heroes i mean another example uh, um we'll take the the avengers movies mm-hmm. um with um what the heck's his face the purple purple face um grimace from burger king what what the heck is his <laughs> name thanos <laughs> thanos thank you everybody has to hate him so much that they they feel this immediate connection to those heroes to fight them so that when he's defeated, it feels like the audience's victory is as, as well. That's what makes a great villain. Yeah. And the hero has to overcome the power of that villain. So the hero has to be beaten up by that villain. Bad. Sometimes really bad. bad. Right. I mean, we're talking Ivan Drago and Rocky Balboa bad. Yes. Well, and that's what made that's what made Drago such a great character, right? We yeah. watched him kill Apollo. Apollo Creed, right? He yeah. kills Apollo Creed, beats the crap out of out of Rocky, mm-hmm. and then at the end of the movie, at the end of that film, you know, after after Drago says, "I must break you," I must break you. you well, know? that was after him saying, "If he dies, 
he dies. If he dies, he dies. <laughs> Such a right. great character. Oh yeah. Um, it's as as cheesy as that Rocky film. Terrible. Is. Love it. Still my favorite. It's not a great Rocky film. It's not that a great was film. My what my favorite Rocky film. I don't care what anybody out there says. That one's still my favorite. And I remember going to see that movie in the theaters. One of the first movies I remember ever seeing in the movie theater. Um, I saw that one and I saw it with my dad and I was so mad because I was a itty bitty kid and I liked the Russian yeah. and he lost. Yeah. And I walked out of the movie theater very, very upset. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You, anyway. you know, and, and if that villain is, if that villain's not powerful enough, then there's no point. Sure. Right. If if the villain is just a pushover, then then what's the then then you you don't have an obstacle to overcome. There's no mountain to climb. There's no there's no sense of as the Italians say fiero that sense of victory in you know in the face of defeat. Um, you know that thrill of 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 victory. You don't have that. It's pointless. There's no thrill, yeah. right? Because well, you might as well just gone over a speed bump. It wasn't a mountain that you had to climb. You didn't yeah. lose anything about it. Um, the problem, the problem that I'm having with a lot of villains now, especially in pop culture, is they're completely watered down. Now, you brought up you brought up Star Wars, so I'm going to use I'm going to use it as a perfect example. I have I have hated as a Star Wars fan going into the uh, you know the the latest trilogy. Oh, I mean, I was excited. I was I was excited when I heard that there was going to be a new trilogy. They were going to do, you, were. you know, seven, eight, nine. I was excited. I, mm-hmm. I was. And then I went to the movie theater and I thought, what the hell is that bullshit? Yeah. So I, I was actually having this discussion with a friend of mine about this exact movie. So the, the villain that you're talking about, let me before, and I don't mean to jump your gun, but I'm sure, going to do it sure. anyway, just because I'm that guy. Um, you're talking about Han Solo's son, which I can never remember his actual Kylo Ren. Name. Yeah, Kylo, Kylo Ren. Ren. Yeah, seen the movie a couple times, still don't have it down. He's not memorable. Never will. He's, he's, he's not. He's the not only thing memorable. I remember is the guy's always angry and half crying all the time. Yeah, yeah. Which and for all intents and purposes, his use of the Force far surpassed anything I ever saw Darth Vader do. Ever. Yeah. Well, he stopped I mean, a laser bolt in the midair right? for crying out loud. I'm like, oh my God, that's incredible. <laughs> right. We never saw Vader do anything like that. No. I'm like, why is the guy totally emo soy boy, like crying tear in his beer all the time? I don't know whether to feel sorry for him or hate him. Do I, am I supposed to empathize with him or want to see the Jedi whoop his ass? I don't know. And I, it makes me as a viewer very uncomfortable watching it. Right. Where when you contrast that with somebody like Vader, who he just his presence filled an entire room. It he didn't was, even have to say anything. He did. He rarely did say anything. You didn't want him to say anything. If he, he said something to you, it was probably going to be the last thing you ever heard because he was just going to kill you. It was it was in, he had the, the, the poise that he had and the absolute presence that he inuted. It was fear. It was respect it was um hatred it was it just oh you had to take him out he has to go he's just all kinds of bad in a big dark cape he's gotta go i mean there was a there's a scene 
was it in uh, Empire Strikes Back when when they lost uh, Captain Nita loses the Millennium Falcon and he says, "Prepare a shuttle. I'll go. I'll go tell Vader." And <laughs> the next time we see Captain Nita, he falls to the floor, and it falls at the feet of Vader. And all Vader says is, "Apology accepted." Captain Apology Nita. accepted, Captain Nita. He wasn't <laughs> crying. He wasn't yelling. He wasn't throwing a fit. He's just like thanks yeah peace out you're done you're done i have you are I no relieved longer, of duty you are relieved <laughs> of duty i will find somebody more competent than you to do your job right right and there and then there's that other there's also a scene where he he's got the two he's got the 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 two captains on there one's an admiral and the other one's a captain and he's choking the death he's choking the life out of the one dude while he's talking to the other guy <laughs> and totally calm totally Very calm. direct the guy, the admiral dude drops to the ground and he looks at Piet and says, you're in command now, Admiral Piet. He gave, he promoted him. Here's your promotion. <laughs> yeah. I just killed your other, I just killed your boss. Could you, you know, you been sitting there going, I don't want it. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and he even trying to like look over and he's like, no, I don't even want to look at the guy. Yeah. yeah. I piss off Vader. Right. So okay. Vader was just like, he was stoic the entire yes. time. He was. He was like, he was just this presence that filled a room. Same with Hans Gruber in Die Hard, mm-hmm. right? He was all impeccably dressed. He, you know, nice suit. He's, he talks very uh, educated. He's very eloquent, right? He keeps his calm the entire film. Mm-hmm. And especially when he comes face to face with, with John McClane in the, you know, up in the top of the tower there and how quickly he's able to pick a name off a wall and, you know, and he says Clay, you know, he gives him the name of Clay and, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but he's just a he's just cool the entire time. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't panic. He maintains composure the entire time and he looks good doing it. And so he's a very formidable force that has to be overcome. Kylo Ren, you're right. He just he's crying. He's throwing a fit. He's throwing a tan. This is nobody who's in control. And therefore, there's nothing for us to actually feel emotionally you know um intimidated by this guy right yeah and and you're not you're like i, I don't i don't i got nothing i i i nothing that guy right I, I there and there was a tremendous opportunity there that was just completely blown well and there were so many things about his character his abilities his all of this so his understanding and use of the force incredible absolutely incredible i really should like that um that dude the guy's lightsaber i mean come on that's that's straight out of like medieval times style lightsaber that's like nerd happy right there i should be losing it over that and then you put that just weirdo out there on the screen for me i go wait what what i don't i don't what i'm confused and i'm lost and i think overwhelmingly the entire audience i don't care who you were out there just kind of went what the hell is this right and then when you when you compare it with with the hero which is ray right we're supposed to like ray but she doesn't actually overcome anything of difficulty in the in the movie at all. In all three films, she never she never has to. In that first film, she battles Kylo Ren at the end and she whoops his ass. Yeah, she with no him. training, no nothing. Right. Um. Yeah. He's a, so, he, 
he's a master of the force at this point in his young, in his young evil career. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and he just allows himself to go toe to toe with, and yeah, he, he was shot in the side and people say, Oh, well he was shot. So he couldn't really fight well. Oh my he God. He didn't no. need to. He stopped a laser bolt in the air. Do you <laughs> yeah. really think he needs to rely on his lightsaber to deal with this peasant? Yeah. Literally a, uh, a scavenger. Yeah. It's so who cares? Like she overcame that she battled him and defeated him. No problem. Right. And, and so every, and she, then she doesn't even defeat him at the end of the movie. They end up having this kind of weird, a love strange relationship. love relationship. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I, I, I'm whoa. Yeah. It, it was very conflicting um, for, I mean, the characters were conflicted even with themselves. Um, the, it completely created a disengagement with the audience and everybody there. There was, there was nothing. And, and I think people were actually looking to try and find who the real villain was. Yeah. And they actually tried to, to garner some sort of hatred and emotional investment in um, hating the new emperor who wasn't the emperor, you know, somebody else. It's, you've got to try and find somebody to rally up and, and defeat. It, it was just, it was hollow. Did was you watch, weird. did you watch the Miss Marvel movie? No. <laughs> no 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 was it the captain marvel captain marvel sorry yes captain yeah. marvel i knew what you brie, yeah, brie larson yeah. uh well, no, so the, no the character's name used to be miss marvel and then in the comics they changed it to captain marvel and that's, captain. Why, the, that's why the film came out as captain marvel but in that in that movie uh, you have brie larson as captain marvel and then you have this um this other villain guy who i don't even remember his name he's uh he's an alien and at the end of the film, she has to battle him. And the battle is like literally two seconds. It's basically her hitting him and him flying away into a mountain. That was it. That was a whole battle. And so there was nothing, again, there was nothing for the character, the hero to overcome. There was no, there was no villain to battle. There was no, there was no huge stakes. And, and so this is, this is a problem that I'm having. And I think this is a function of the woke culture that we're in. We have, we're in this woke culture where we have these female heroes and the female heroes, well, they're supposed to be all powerful because they're women. Okay. But we can't, you can't beat them up because if you beat them up, then now that's the patriarchy. And and so there's no, you know, there's nothing for them to overcome. There's no sense of, of risk. There's no, and, and as a consequence, there's no reward when they finally do win. Yeah. Well, and that's, I don't think that's, it's definitely not just a female thing. And I don't think that's, that's only because it's, I, I think you're right. I think it's um, part of the culture we're in now. I remember uh, the um, what the heck was her big lip name? Angelina Jolie, a uh, Tomb Raider. <laughs> I, um, okay. You remember the Tomb Raider movies? Yeah, um, yeah. There were good, decent villains in there. I mean, overall, the 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 movies weren't incredibly great, but um, the villains and I still think that my favorite villain, just in any of the movies, was um, Lord Blackthorn in the Sherlock Holmes movie. Mm -hmm. it was an awesome villain. But again, challenged Sherlock Holmes to figure out what was going on. 
and how things were happening and constantly um, changing his perceptions. And you saw our hero um, have to really buckle down and overcome a lot of obstacles, even when their back was totally against the wall. And that's important. And I don't think that's happening with a lot of our movies out there, regardless of gender. I just don't think that we're putting we're putting any emphasis on that. Well, I think it's I think it's highlighted when when we have a female hero. Okay. Um, and and Captain Marvel, the Star Wars films are perfect examples of those where we have where we have a female hero, and and. And as a result, Hollywood needs that female hero to be the superstar. Great. I, ha- I don't have a problem with that. And But they don't want to put a villain in their way to challenge them. And so they water it down. And we're supposed to, we're supposed to just kind of see that and say, well, that's, that's no big deal. But yet... Hollywood also forgets, and so do a lot of these people that are involved in this woke culture right now. They forget that there's been a history in Hollywood for a long time. There have been other female heroines that people like you and I have rooted for. Yeah. Aliens is a perfect example. The Alien series is a perfect example in the character of Ellen Ripley, who had to overcome. But here's the thing about Ellen Ripley. While Ellen Ripley, she was, you know, I... I remember seeing the movie Aliens many, several times in the theaters. When that came out, my gosh, I, I think I saw it probably eight or nine times in the movie theater alone. You do not want to watch Aliens with me because I can recite just about every single line of dialogue in that film. Usually I have people, if I watch the movie with somebody, I recite the dialogue and people tell me to shut the hell up. I have to watch that movie by myself. <laughs> Okay, because I recite the dialogue the entire time. Two of the best characters in that movie are women. You have the character of Vasquez and the character of Ellen Ripley. And I remember back in the 80s when that movie came out, Ellen Ripley was, she was regarded in that film Aliens as this gun-toting woman who kicks ass. She didn't even pick up the gun until halfway through the film or more than halfway, just before the third act. Um, but she got out of situations and she had to dig deep, but yet she, while watching that film, here's what's great about that kind of a film is you're watching Ripley on the move in the movie. And you, she's not a, she's not a female actress playing as a man on screen. And that's what Brie Larson did in Captain Marvel. The character, the actress, was you when you're watching the character, you know you're watching a female. You know you're watching a woman. She's very maternal. There was a maternal instincts that come out in the in the film with the little character Newt, the little kid. Um, she's still feminine. She doesn't walk around and act like a dude. dude is my Sigourney point. Weaver. Right. You have <laughs> Sigourney Weaver. She's pretty. She's a beautiful woman to look at, right? right? But my point being is you're watching it and you realize that you're not just watching a woman trying to play a man's part. You're mm-hmm. watching a woman play a woman's role. And, yeah. and so she's still very feminine in the film. But yet she reaches down and she she finds her strength to persevere and overcome the very traumatic events that she's found herself in. And she does it splendidly. And yeah, and she kicks ass in the to- at, the, at the same time. We don't have that in, in Star Wars. We don't have that in the character of Rey. We don't have that in the character of Captain Marvel in the film. 
No. No. Well, no, I can't. I can't say we do. Um, and, you know, all right. So since I brought up the Avengers mm-hmm. um, previously, as much as you know how much I love the way that series ended. Um, but I will say for the female heroines in that movie, they played female characters. You were able to to follow them as females. I don't appreciate the March of the Ladies Hurrah at the end of that whole trilogy. I thought that was very awkward. Um, or maybe switch it up. What about um, Wonder Woman? So I haven't watched Wonder Woman eight, 1984. Okay. I haven't seen that one yet. Um, the, but again, with, with Wonder Woman in the, the first film she was the the biggest struggles that she had as a character occurred when she was growing up on Themyscira. Mm-hmm. And so there were other women. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was the, it was her growing up and, and battling as an Amazon. That was probably the only time that she had the greatest challenge in that story arc of her character. Once she got out of Themyscira, she was basically Superman. She was indestructible. Nobody could, nobody could kill her. Mm-hmm. And and that's why the hero of that film, Wonder Woman, is actually the dude, who I forget his name in the mil- in the in the film, um, but the World War II pilot, he's mm-hmm. really the hero of the whole film. I mean, hell, he sacrifices himself at the end of the movie for crying out right. loud. Right. Well, and it's I was talking about that movie, and I was like, gosh, you know, there's so much about it I really should like. And I was having a real hard time trying to wrap my head around what was it that made me felt so dang empty at the end of it. Um, and one of the things I pointed to was that there was never any overwhelming challenge for Wonder Woman to have to overcome in order to beat the villain at the end. She didn't even find out who the villain at the end was until the very end of the movie when Ares actually appeared and she got to take down literally the God of War after one battle. Steppenwolf. His name was Steppenwolf. Or no, right. that was in the uh, no, I'm, that was in the Justice League movie. I'm. That was like no, 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 no. I'm confusing. Yeah, I'm confusing <laughs> yeah, yeah, my yeah. villains. Um, but yeah, so she took down literally a god after just kind of toying with him for a little while. And contrast um, that, but contrast that with the original Superman movies, the Christopher oh, Reeve, the first yeah. two Christopher Reeve films. Mm. In the first Superman movie, he he loses Lois Lane. She dies. She dies. Yes. And and, and it breaks him. Back. It does. It breaks oh. him. Now, the whole spinning the globe backwards and yeah, re- yeah, yeah, turning yeah, yeah. T- that was dumb. I, but up until that moment, that was a very pivotal sure. I mean, he lost everything and as a as a character, he realized that you know what? He can't be everywhere at once even though he is Superman. He is the epitome it's what superheroes are named after. They're named yep. after him, Superman. Um, and he and, realizes that he's a failure. Yep. When he gets there and he pulls that car out of the ground and he pulls Lois Lane out of the car and he kneels down on the ground with her dead body in his arms and he looks at her realizing he can do nothing else. And he, cr- I, I got goosebumps all over just thinking, oh, about yeah. Right now. Ah, and he just cries out with that one. Cr- I mean, oh, every, it's. That's an there's incredible a, moment. It, there's it just, a scene. There's a part where he's pulling her out of the car and he's he's holding her and her lay and her head kind of just you know kind of lolls to the side a little bit. But there's a oh. moment where he just he like flinches because he's he realizes 
you can see in his body in Christopher Reeve's body language there that she's fragile. And, and there's a moment where he's like, you know, Oh my God, you know, she's fragile and he doesn't want her to break, but she's dead. Um, and it crushes him and it kills him. Wonder Woman didn't experience anything like that. Captain Marvel didn't experience anything like that. Ray didn't experience anything like that. And even in Superman two, he lose he gave up his powers and then gets beat by a trucker for crying out loud. Yeah. Yep. And has to basically crawl back on hands and knees back to the fortress of solitude to, to try to beg his Kryptonian parents to give him his powers back. Yep. And he Um, does, he cries out again. He cries out father in that empty and it echoes and reverberates off the wall. I mean, it just, and I will say this for the the Man of Steel movie, that new one that, that came out, which I wasn't an overall fan of that either, but at least at the end when he has to, when he does kill um, Zod in order to save those civilians, even in that moment, he cries out again, which is probably yeah. the only time in those in that entire movie that I felt a proper homage to the original Superman film. And it was because of that moment, that, that sheer desperation and the finality of, of death. And, and it, it brings that super human to become human where we are able to, to empathize with that person in, in that it's those kind of things. You have to have that for, in order to build that up, to, and to take those heroes, make them human so that the audience feels that they're a part and they can relate to that and want to see that that conquering of the enemy in the end. You've got to have that, that I guess, that vulnerability so that the audience feels yeah. that they can play a part. And we see that in a movie like Aliens. At the end, when, she go, when Ellen Ripley, she goes and she's trying to find Newt. And she's got the tracker and she tracks down to the location and she finds the watch and it's just on the floor and it's got all the goop all over it. And she pulls the watch out and then she breaks down. She's, mm-hmm. She now realizes she doesn't know where Newt is. She's not going to be able to save her. Um, and there's a very emotional outlet that Ripley has there when she's just, she just, I think it, it dawns on her that she's, that this child is gone, that this child is dead and there's nothing she can do to save her until she hears her scream. And then she's able to rally. But, you know, when I saw that film in the movie theater, there was like this collective relief at the end when the queen was finally defeated. Like there was this tremendous climax and, you know, and watching Ripley go through that entire arc and being beaten up and, you know, go pull, you know, basically just reaching down and pulling herself up by her bootstraps to defeat the alien. At the end, there was this collective sigh of relief, like, oh my God, thank God it's over. You don't have that in Wonder Woman. You don't have that in Star Wars. Nobody gave a crap. There was no emotional investment into those characters. So people listening to like you and I would say, well, these guys are just misogynists. They just don't like women heroes. (laughs) Bullshit. Aliens is one of my favorite films for crying out loud. I love the character of Ripley. My dog is named at my dog, who's a boy dog, a male dog, by the way, is named after the character Ellen Ripley from Alien. Right. Crying out loud. I love that film. She was a great character. It's just that we live in this woke society now where we don't even know how to deal with villains. We don't know how to yeah. deal with where we're dealing with female heroes with kid gloves. Yeah. Well, and what unfortunately happens is 
when you when you do that, you end up making the female heroes less relatable, less likable. And I mean, Wonder Woman for crying out loud, talk about the epitome of female superhero. I mean, that's she's Wonder Woman. She's I mean, she was attractive. She was powerful. She was strong. She had the golden lasso that could get anyone to tell the truth. I mean, it was like it, it bam, everything, total package. And you put her in a place, that character, where nobody's interested in it. I don't believe that that's because people don't like female superheroes. I don't believe that. female People like female heroes. But daggummit, give them something that gives them character and relatability. Here's one. Okay, let's take the superheroes out of it. And I'm not even going to put a good villain into it. One of my favorite movies of all time is uh, a league of their own that's a great movie i love all about women i saw that movie i I saw that movie like three or four times in the theater alone when it came out yeah i I watched it just um it's been on a lot recently watch the hell out of that movie you talk about real women Mm -hmm. overcoming the stereotypes of their day um Mm -hmm. and going literally to battle on a ball field and they're not battling on the field it's about battling just life and society and the societal trying to be norms. accepted yeah trying to be accepted i mean i remember you know um gina davis's character uh dotty henson mm-hmm. um yeah. arguably maybe the hero of the movie but at least the the um, protagonist at least and going through and empathizing with her when they brought in that um the notice of one of the soldiers for i think it was betty spaghetti's husband had passed yeah and then when she's crying in her room afterwards just that hollow empty i mean everybody's just putting themselves in that same place where your loved one's gone and and for that whole movie up to that point we kind of forgot that these ladies husbands and and boyfriends and and significant others fathers brothers they're out fighting in a war and they're all they're dying that movie could and not be made today. That movie would no. not be made today. And and why? Because the character of Dottie, the main character, she's already married. She's a wife. She wants to be a wife. She's just doing this because her kid sister wanted to play baseball. Right. Right. Her kid sister kind of guilted her into doing it. And she, right. I mean. And, and so no, she's. And- but but she's a wife and she she's looking forward to that moment when her husband comes back and she can go be with her husband again. Yeah. That movie would never be made today. No. No, it, it really wouldn't. And and terrible as it was cuz that was a it was a phenomenal movie. And I mean, here you are. There she loses. She loses the big game in the end. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert if you haven't seen that movie, I doubt you haven't, but I mean, she loses to yeah. her kid sister which is kind of a it's a bittersweet kind of thing but i mean it's and it's not about victory a lot of times it's about the journey and how we connect with those people but she's an absolute hero yeah absolute so yes villains today watered down and pussified overall everywhere it's funny i guess i hadn't made that kind of same correlation about it being with um female heroes or I guess they're called heroines, is if that's appropriate. I don't know what Whatever. PC correctness is. Screw it. Um, but it's true, and I, I think it does an incredible disservice to everyone out there who actually does like female heroes, and I think most people do. 
And unfortunately, what happens is if you make a shitty movie with a female as your protagonist, then you're just creating more of a problem and you're just going to throw it right. off of like, well, people are just misogynic and they don't, they don't like, they're, they hate women. What the hell? No, I hate people who make shitty movies. Right. I hate people that make shitty movies. And, you know, the, the other Avengers, there there are female Avengers in the films. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we haven't, you know, one of the best characters in the film, in those Avengers films, is the character of Black Widow. Black Widow is very powerful. She, she, and she's able to whoop kick ass in all of the different Avengers films, even in the Captain America film. Uh, Winter with Soldier. zero superpowers with zero superpowers right she's able to right. kick ass but here's the difference here's the difference with with her character her we're not watching her character go through the story arc we're not watching her character go through that hero arc so she's she's a secondary character and really in the avengers movie it's really more about the avengers going through as a group so all of the the burden of the hero arc does not have to rest on the shoulders of the character of Black Widow. Now, having said that, Black Widow has her upcoming movie. It was supposed to come out, I think, this last year, but now it's been postponed to this year. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. Does she have an actual villain that she has to overcome? Uh, I, I doubt it. I, I'm not holding out much hope i think that she's just going to be a badass through the entire film and we're going to watch her do cool stuff and people will say wow that movie was amazing there's a difference between just being amazing for the sake of being amazing this is the this is how i felt when i watched the episode seven of star wars you kind of i was watching it and i thought wow this is there's there's a lot of action there's, there's a lot of stuff going on this is really cool until i started thinking about it and then i thought god this movie is terrible like there's nothing, yeah. there's no meat there for me to, after I left, I was like, I don't need to watch that movie ever again. Yeah. It's it, there's no substance. No. And you know, the, the origin story for black widow is, is really incredible. I mean, how, what the way that the assassins were trained in mm-hmm. Russia in, and I can't remember the name of the actual organization that, that um, trained her and brought them up, but it was all, they trained all women and only women um but the amount of things that they put them through and i don't know if they're going to do any of this so i don't want to get into too much of it um in the movie but um what they put them through and made them literally overcome for them just to survive training was incredible so if they stick to that i think it would probably be pretty good yeah we'll have to we'll have to see let's see so let's um quickly here talk, talk about the internet okay as a villain because a friend of mine said that the internet that he's on retrospect thinks that the internet was a mistake. I can understand that argument. And the, the the position of his argument was coming from the idea that there's so much information on the internet Mm -hmm. that as a society, we're not able to deal with it. No. And I've made the argument before that I, I don't think as a society, we are, I don't think we're responsible enough to handle the internet. You know, do you remember when you, when you first um, were learning to drive and your parents were talking to you about this, there's, this is a great responsibility and there's a lot of things that you take ownership of when you're out here. This is, it's a very dangerous tool. It's a very liberating and powerful tool. Your vehicle is, um, but it's a great responsibility. And I remember that. Nobody did that for us when we got online. 
And I don't think we look, we treat the internet with any sort of respect, not only for what we can do with it, but what we can allow it to do to ourselves. If I were, let's just pretend I was a 16 year old kid and I had nobody out there and no, no idea of what the world was really like. And all I ever knew of it was from what I get fed to me online. Oh my gosh. I mean, shoot, you Google one thing and next thing you know, you're 10 miles down the road looking at something you had absolutely no intention of finding out about. But not only that, you're getting it all from who knows what perspective and from what source. I mean, I could post something up right now on probably four or five different places on the internet and call it truth that um, Donald Trump was murdered in his sleep. And for all I know, that could be a headline of the Atlantic by tomorrow. I mean, they don't fact check anything before they run it anyway. So, um, but the point I make is, it, you know, information fro flows very, very, very fast and very freely without any obstruction. And yet there's a lot of other controls on things that some people do say. We've talked about cancel people getting canceled off of uh, random sites. Hell, we had a whole um, discussion about parlor got completely shut down i mean that's silencing an entire voice of people so no i don't think as a society we are we are still i don't think we're prepared and uh and can handle the responsibility of what the internet can and can't do you know sadly i think the internet has actually made people less educated oh absolutely um you know when i was i, I remember distinctly being in fifth grade no fifth grade yeah fifth grade I remember distinctly being in fifth grade and my instructor at the time, Mrs. Canoe, we called her Mrs. Battleship, but her name is Mrs. Canoe, not spelled C-A-N-O-E. Um, K-N-U-E, I think is how it was spelled. I don't remember. Uh, but everybody called her Mrs. Battleship. Um, not to her face, obviously, because we were terrified well, yeah, of yeah, her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I remember her talking about how um, just talking about things in the future. I don't remember what class it was in. I don't remember anything of that. I just remember her talking about imagining, you know, trying to get us as kids to imagine a world where information was at our fingertips. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And if there was information, just like, you know, she was talking about like a library, for example, if a library, if we could access it instantly, uh, because computers were slowly coming along at that time. Yeah. I mean, they were ancient. It was like people were thinking about what could computers do in the future. And, you know, she was talking about how if we, through a computer, were able to access all of a library, you know, instantly, then we would be able to spend our time just learning about new things. And we would be able to be introduced to conflicting ideas. And so we would have a better understanding of how the world worked because we would have we would be able to see all the different ideas. Well, none of that has happened. No. I mean, well, well the, no, no, the no, 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 access no. has happened. Access to information has happened. The What's, access what to that's the created yes. is a bunch of drones who are completely too lazy to actually look at any anything or anyone else. Um, and you ask somebody a question, the first thing they do is pull out their little pocket computer in their phone and Google it. And whatever that says, that's law. Well, and, and there's no reason. We, we've taken a stance even amongst even in school, in like elementary school and high school, we've taken the stance that, well, students don't really need to learn anything because if they ever really need to know anything in the future, all they have to do is Google it. 
yeah. and they'll be able to find the answer. If you ever really need to know how to, how to find, you know, how to find the hypotenuse of a triangle, all you have to do is Google it and you'll find the answer, right? Or if you ever needed to know when United States entered World War II, you just have to Google it and you'll be able to be told that. They're getting away from the point. You can't just you can't just send kids into the world with no knowledge about anything because there's going to be a lot of instances where they're not going to be able to take time to Google it in the yep. five minutes that they're actually in a meeting or discussing something with somebody of substance. And they're, they, they, we're doing people a disservice. In fact, I mean, because of the computer and our and our dependency now on on the internet. Kids in school don't even learn about penmanship. No, they don't, they don't learn cursive. They don't learn how well, to write in they're, cursive. They're not doing cursive anymore. No, I don't they know don't. if you've heard that. They're actually yeah. taking that out. I remember learning that. I think it was fourth grade. I can't remember. We started learning cursive, but um, they're not teaching it at all. They've actually right. removed it from the curriculum entirely. Most schools do their homework on electronically anyway. Mm -hmm. And and if they have to write a paper, kids are typing it. Now, I'm not against. I'm not against kids learning how to type, but you have to also learn how to write with your hand for crying out loud. Right. Because as somebody who likes to write a lot of notes, you can't always be typing. Mm -hmm. I recognize that. And sometimes it's, it's not feasible to, to just write everything down electronically because then it's hard to find the, the, the information that you've already written down. It's a lot easier to find it if you're, if you have like a little notebook that you write in, it's easy just to flip through the papers and go, I know it's back here somewhere. Yeah. You know, because you wrote it there. Um, but now kids don't even know how to, they, they don't know how to write in cursive. They don't know how to do penmanship. They don't know how to have a, a decent penmanship because they're not writing at all. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea that, well, we can just look up anything whenever we want to. Now this all brought, this all came about because, or, or one of the, the comments that I made to my friend at the time was that, um, you know, a lot of this is a problem because as a society, we're less moral. And he, he doesn't really give a crap about that kind of stuff. Not like I do. And he was like, ah, I don't buy that bullshit. And I'm like, but I think it's true. I think our society has become less moral overall. And so the shit that happens on the internet um, happens because well, like to your point, nobody know, understands how to be responsible or why they should be responsible. And having a moral foundation gives you the foundation to make those kinds of responsible choices, i.e. moral choices online and how to treat other people online. I mean, we're vicious to people. Cancel culture exists because people are not moral for all, for all intents and purposes. Right. They're just acting immorally. No, and, and well, I can agree with that to a point. And, and you know, go back to what you um, played earlier with Maxine Waters. I mean, okay, so if I actually write that speech out, it's hate speech. Yes. I mean, it's, it's essentially hate speech if I write it out. But yes. if I go out in public and I, and I use a megaphone and I say it amongst a group of people, then it's peaceful protest. It's uh, only rallying, but only if you're left leaning. Well, and so okay, so to that point, now I'll get I'll get there in a minute. So I don't want to go into the actual political mm -hmm. nature of right or left side. What I'm saying is specifically when it comes to 
um, writing versus verbal speech. Verbal speech in public usually is in a small group. Now you take that and put it on the internet. And this is what I was getting to as far as the responsibility of it. It has a much wider reach of potential wider reach of audience besides you and me, because we still only reach about five people. Right. But right. it has a much wider reach in, in whom it can affect. And you have to be cognizant of that when you're addressing whether it's a room full of people, whether you're writing a personal note in a diary or you're going to submit it on paper to a teacher or something like that. What you have to consider the audience and, and our internet right now provides a mechanism to spread what could be a private conversation to literally millions of people. And there is absolutely no personal responsibility in what we say on the internet right now. And I don't see that changing. Actually, I see it being weaponized more than anything else. And we're mm -hmm. seeing that now with censoring of things we don't want, we collectively don't, quote unquote, want to see and propping up and spreading things that we do. And that's dangerous. Well, it's dangerous for, uh, for a number of reasons because, you know, more so than anything, it's dangerous because if you start silencing certain people, then you start, you start developing a collectivist form of thinking and history Correct. is, history is filled with collectivist thinking and what, and the, and the murder that that's brought about the, the hundreds of thousands, millions of lives that have been lost over collectivist thinking. Right. Well, and, and so we talked before, you don't need to know anything. You just Google it. Well, what if you don't want to use Google? I mean, this is what I'm talking, even on that small level, you know, what, when did we, what used an example, when did we enter, enter world war two? Well, what happens if somebody decides that they're going to change that? Now you're like, well, Jason, you can't change history. Oh, really? That's happening. My friend, that is happening right now. But somebody, whoever is running that engine that you're using, whether it's a search engine or whatever search you're running, somebody is making a decision on what shows up first when you type in any search for anything. And when we train our public to take whatever comes up first on that phone, that little device that with that computer in our pocket that we have, and that first result we get, that is law. That's gospel. That's Bible. That's dangerous. That means we are setting ourselves up to be controlled by someone. So because, but so here's here's the thing. When when you learn how to do, to learn how to find the hypotenuse of a triangle, you're going to have students everywhere who say, "Why do I need to know how to do this?" We have educators today that say, "Yeah, my students don't need to learn how to do that. They can just Google it. I'm just teaching them how to." put the put the equation into Google and have Google solve it for them. What you're doing is you're teaching kids not to think. Correct. And when you when you learn how to find the hypotenuse of a triangle. Okay, when you learn how to do those kinds of things, when you learn how to write equations by hand, when you learn how to write in cursive, those th those actions engage with other parts of your brain. And we know this, they unlock other parts of your brain and help learning 
over time. They help you learn how to think. They, when you're dealing with these crazy equations, and I remember being in sixth, seventh, eighth grade and saying, I'm never going to have to do this, you know, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Who cares? I'm never going to do this, right? I'm never going to be in a position where I'm going to have to solve for that. No, you probably won't. But that's not the point. Mm -hmm. The point is by you learning how to solve mathematical equations, for example, you're learning how to think logically. You're learning how to analyze a problem and find a solution to it. If you just plug it into Google, you've stopped thinking entirely. Right. And that's dangerous because now we're literally giving kids a pass. We're building we're building generations of, we're educating, we're not even educating, I can't even call it educating, but we're raising generation a generation of children who are not thinking. Mm -hmm. And, and there we're just, and we're okay with that. And that's very, very dangerous. It, it, incredibly. And, and like I said, you're creating literally drones who are going to take whatever people say at face value for law. You know, there's, there's some sick people in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I cringe at the idea of my daughter growing up because she's a very trusting person and I, I love that about her, you know, but that terrifies me sure. because not everybody out there is honest, right? My daughter or someone else's daughter or someone else's son, for that matter, the children of the world today. And I mean, children all the way up from, you know, one-year-old to 28, because most, some of the, some of the 26 year I met are still very, very much children. We do not want people who are, cannot think for themselves out there because they're going to be running the world here very, very soon. And even less, we don't have to get that dramatic. They're human beings and we want the best for them. I want the best for my kids. Just like I know you want the best for yours and everyone out there in the sound of my voice, we all do. Then damn it. We got to stand up and say, look, we got to teach people how to think. I loved math growing up. I loved math. I still love math. I love being able to look at a problem and go, all right, is there another way to solve this? Cause I'm, I'm losing it here. Let me try it a different way. I mean, that's just, just in that idea of thinking how many different ways can I get to one solution for this problem? I can try and attack it from four different places. I mean, even word problems, which I know you remember word problems. Oh, yeah. math. Oh, Everybody yeah. hated word problems. Yeah. I kind of liked word problems because it was a mystery. It was like solving a mystery right. because there were certain words like is, oh, that's an equal sign. Uh -huh. of, you know, and you that write that multiply. down of, oh, that's multiplied. Yeah. Or, you know, you know, you were pick, I was picking little things out. It was, it was like, it was like it was encoded and I was like, oh, this is cool. You know what I mean? I felt like Sherlock Holmes for crying out loud doing math, but there was excitement in being able to take that break it down and put it into another format and then come up with an answer and figure it out and go, yeah, I got it. Well, and if, if, if you're not, if our students are not engaging and not doing that kind of thinking because they can Google it, right. You're talking about a math problem that when we're talking like algebra, for example, if we're talking algebra, um, you're talking about very simple algebraic equations 
that are concrete. They're, they're very black and white in terms of how you approach them and how you solve them. Okay. But you, you build on that. So you learn how to think when, when confronted with these very black and white problems and how to find your mistake if, because we all make mistakes and you wind up with the wrong answer and you have to kind of go back and see, well, where did I make the mistake? If I wrote it all down, I can see, oh, I multiplied when I wasn't supposed to, I was supposed to add first or whatever. And then you introduce, and then they grow up and not every problem is black and white. And most problems are filled with ambiguity and a lot of gray. And now they're going to be in these positions where they have to think their way through them. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to experiment. They're going to have to come up with ideas to try to solve real world problems. Because let's face it, as adults, we don't have real world problems that are just black and white. There's a lot of gray in those problems. And so I fear that we're building a, a generation of kids that aren't going to be able to think for themselves. They're going to be paralyzed because they've never actually been taught how to think. And going back to the whole, like, you know, writing things and doing cursive and things like that. Studies show overwhelmingly that when you engage with a pen or pencil and you write things down, that your learning ability increases by tenfold. There's been studies where they've looked at learning between students who wrote by hand in a journal and took notes on a topic versus other students who typed on a keyboard into a computer to take notes. Mm -hmm. And the, the students who typed overwhelmingly, and these are, these, are, these are learning studies that have been done multiple times. So they've been backed up by multiple, by multiple uh, studies and research but the students who type actually retain less knowledge because they're not as engaged right. with the content as they are when they write it by hand. Yep. And so we are literally foregoing this and the internet now, in my opinion, or, you know, in my buddy's opinion too, is it's kind of a mistake. Mm -hmm. And you brought this whole thing up before we started is like, yeah, we're going to talk about how the internet was a mistake. Meanwhile, we record our show on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's a tool and it is a tool it and I think tool, it, yeah. can, it can be utilized, but if it's the only thing that you know, and the only thing that you use, then it becomes a crutch, you right. know? So I, I was going back to school and I was doing some of my prerequisites for college. And, um, I remember taking a, uh, I was taking a psychology course and it was all online, which I, I hated the idea, but unfortunately with my schedule, it's, it's what was going to work. Um, and I took my first course and I was actually going through my, my, my work and I was going, I'm, I could tell, I'm just, I'm not retaining this stuff. I'm not, it's not sinking in. I'm not doing it. And I was trying to take notes. I'm like, no, this isn't happening. So I started over and I actually got a three ring binder and paper. And I started literally writing out what was being said you know, not everything or word for word. And I was right. going through and reading and not, but literally taking notes, a lot of notes. And I started getting it and I started getting it better and better. And when I went back to review the coursework, I didn't review it on the computer. I reviewed my notes. And then if I was doing a practice test, if there was something I didn't have in my notes, okay, obviously I need to go back and look at that because I missed something. Then I could add it in, but I learned it and retained it better that way. And I always have, and I'm, I'm much more in person anyway. So that was another challenge, but you know, we don't teach anybody 
how to look anywhere else but one place, it's a crutch. And, and you lose that innovation. You know, I remember my mom, probably one of her favorite stories is we went camping. My mom, my brother, and myself. We went out to the lake, went fishing. Um, and we were all going to crash in the back of the pickup truck and under the stars. And, oh, it was going to be great. Well, guess what happened? It rained. And then it got cold and it was going to start snowing. We're like, well, do we just pack up and go home? Yes. Oh, hell, well, I know you would say yes. <laughs> well, no, you wouldn't say yes because you, would, you wouldn't have gone out there anyway. There's no way you would Correct. go camping or fishing, especially not both. Right. And especially not out, outside of, you know, the city. So yeah. <laughs> in the city um, is just homelessness is all that is. Well, yeah, it's exactly what it is. But out in the woods, it's camping, camping. So my brother and I are like, well, we were going to get a tarp and put it up over the bed of the truck. And that's going to keep us dry and warm to keep all the heat in and good. And then we were like, oh, shoot, you know what? The middle of that, it's going to fill up with water and it's going to fill up and we're going to end up getting soaked. Well, we're going to have to come it up. So we were actually figuring out how to take a busted piece of, I think it was like a volleyball net set that we had brought. And it was broken, of course, like everything else we own, um, or I own anyway. How do we make a, a dome in the middle of this that'll actually keep that up and let the water roll off and keep it off of us? And, and so my brother and I, are, we're, we're MacGyvering. We're literally redneck engineer, you know, engineering this whole thing up with duct tape and, and busted stuff and bungee cords. And my mom is sitting back there just watching the two of us spitball ideas back and forth and figure out how the hell we're going to make this work. But we did. And we, we figured it out and it worked pretty darn good. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it was pretty darn good. But I look at kids now, they wouldn't know what to do. No. Hell, they, the first thing they would do is how do I do? Oh, wait, I got no signal out here in the middle of nowhere. What do we do? Well, pack it up and go home, I guess. If I don't have the answer within 2.5 seconds on my phone, then I don't have an answer. I need to quit. And that's scary to me because yeah. I see that overwhelmingly all throughout. And it's not just our youth. I even see that in grown adults now who have become so reliant on the internet to give them an immediate answer and the only acceptable answer within no time. Otherwise, it's not a solvable problem. And we just give up. When I, when I was taking calculus in college, my calculus professor, he allowed us to uh, use all of our notes to solve problems. He said, you can, whatever notes you write down in a notebook, you can use during an exam. And he explained his rationale, his reasoning for that. And he said, look, he said, if, if let's say you're, you're an engineer one day, he said, you're going to be able to use whatever you have at your disposal to answer certain problems. And he said, and you're probably not going to remember how to do these problems by hand at that point. He said, but that's not the point. The point is knowing that you know how to solve the problem, or at least knowing that there is a solution when you're confronted with a problem. Now you may need to go look it up, but you'll be able to find it faster if you've already done the heavy lifting of the work and you've learned how to do it by hand. You've learned how to manipulate all of these things. You've learned how to solve the problems and how you solve those problems. In the future, you're gonna see a problem and you're gonna say, I know that that can be solved. 
let me go figure out how to solve it. And that's a lot different than just saying, well, let me Google it. I don't know. Right. <laughs> There are, there's a, there's a big difference there. And this is, this is very similar to like a carpenter. You have all these different tools or a mechanic, right? They have all these different tools that they use every day, but you just, you don't just simply say, well, let me Google how to build a cabinet. And then that way, and then I'm going to magically build a cabinet, right? You have to put your hands on all of the materials and do that work for it to actually make sense. And for you to learn how it is that you actually make those things and what the tools are for. Right. So right. just because just because you give me a tool, I'm going to look at it and go, what the hell is this for? Right. Right. But right. unless I work with the tool and I do stuff and I build stuff or I fix stuff with it, then I'm going to learn what it's for and how to use it. And when I can use it in completely different situations sure. that, you know, you may not have ever encountered before, but at least I would say, Hey, I've got a tool. I think I can use this tool to solve that particular problem. The mm -hmm. same thing with things like math and history and all of those, we can dive back into that knowledge that we've obtained to pull it out. And quite frankly, I don't really see our younger generation accumulating much knowledge uh, as we move forward. No. And, and unfortunately that's, that's our fault as an older generation for allowing our laziness to become an overwhelming problem for our youth. Because uh, you know what? Not teaching children how to write their name in cursive or hell, it, there's going to be a point where we're not going to even teach them how to print. Right. I mean, it, it's what, what the hell happens when they don't have a computer and they need to write something. But it's more than that. It's actually, you know, my, my daughter gets ecstatic when she gets her name written down and it looks like, you know, Madeline on there. Um, she goes nuts. Daddy, look it. It's accomplishment. You're actually, and she's building up character and pride. And she's, that was a huge obstacle for her. Now she's overcoming that. I mean, what is that building in her that, I mean, if I just teach her how to type it out on a keyboard, what that does nothing. It does nothing for her development as a person or as an individual. And I'm sorry, our, our laziness and our teacher's laziness um, has created a very, very big problem in our youth. And unfortunately, I don't see it going anywhere. Yeah. All right. Well, any, uh, any parting thoughts other than that? Um, I don't think the internet is a villain, but I think it, uh, it's pretty close. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think the internet does provide a lot of great things, uh, but I think society has used it as a crutch. I think for the most part, I think, I think society has for the most part ignored a lot of its potential uh, and focused on convenience more than anything. Yes. Yeah. And, and this is a problem of convenience, but you know, the internet is a non-thinking entity. It's just a thing. Right. So there's a lot of benefits out there. There's a lot of negatives as well, but, uh, but society certainly is looking for, you know, the shortest path between two points. And uh, we're erring, I think with kids on the side of, and, and for ourselves, even, I think there are a lot of people that are just like, I don't want to look it up. I don't need to know. I don't need to learn anything. I got Google, right. There are a lot of adults that take that stance and you're yeah. just taking the easy way out. I, I called um, to get an authorization from an insurance company for a patient um, the other day. And the lady on the phone says, well, sir, you do realize you could submit this online, correct? And I said, yeah, I'm aware. 
And there was this big, long pause. <laughs> and she said, so did you want to continue doing this over the phone? I said, yes. I'm here, since, aren't I? <laughs> since I got you. And she was legitimately put out that I wanted to continue doing this on the phone. And I'm like, your whole job is to answer the phone and help people. And I think I'm probably one out of the last 20 that you haven't been able to convince to hang up with you and go do it online. Yeah. Well, you know, the in the, in the time it would take me to go learn how to do it online, I can just have a conversation with you and be done with it. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy yeah. talk. That makes you uh, almost as odd as I am. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those listening, you can get all of our stuff at the fusionunderground.net and send us an email at contact at fusionunderground.net. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. We're on all every place where you can get a, uh, a podcast. Just do a search for Fusion Underground and you'll find us or go out to our website, fusionunderground.net. You'll find all of our audio feeds. Um, you'll see the videos that we post up there of us doing exactly this, talking about things that we pretend to know. That we pretend to know. <laughs> <laughs> so for Jason Moret, I'm Manuel Ramirez and you've been listening to the Fusion Underground. Peace out. Have late. a good night. Woo!